You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, I was going to stay to stay standing, but uh, for the Word of God, if you guys could please stand if you're able. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 5:38-48. You have heard it. That you have heard that it was said, "Eye for eye and tooth for tooth." But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you and reward, what reward will you get? Are you... Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thank you, Jeff. Well, yeah, as was mentioned, I'm, I'm zipping between the campuses uh, this morning. So uh, I'm out of breath. It's a long run between the two. <laughs> Um, but it's great to be here. Let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Brad, one of the pastors here at uh, Town Center Campus. Excited to have you. And uh, if it is your, your first week kind of visiting us, a uh, special welcome to you. Thank you very much for, for visiting with us. We're, we've been in the middle of a, a series over the last few months called uh, A New Humanity. And what we've been discussing is what uh, a lot of people over, over the, the years the church has referred to as um, the Jesus Sermon on the Mount. And one of the ways that I've been trying to say it is kind of a helpful way of thinking of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is kind of thinking of it as kind of Jesus' inaugural address. His, his sermon that explains, this is what my kingdom looks like. Do you want to follow me? This is what it looks like to live in my kingdom. And so he's talked about a whole bunch of things that are more than just what happens out here, but what's actually going on right here. Because Jesus knows you can pull this stuff off. You can follow rules without really having your heart softened. And so we've seen that Jesus has walked through a handful of things that are just as applicable today as they were 2,000 years ago. Things about sexuality, about, about marriage, about showing mercy, about forgiveness. Um, areas not, if we don't look at the world and just go, yeah, they could really use an overhaul. No, in the same way as Jesus' day, to look at our own hearts and minds and say, I could use an overhaul. This could use a revisit. In today's text, we see another area that is, it's not some philosophical way out there kind of thing. It is something that we interact with, that we swim in every day. We have a warped understanding of how we ought to relate to people uh, these days. We have a, a warped understanding of justice if we look out at the world 
today uh, of how we ought to interact with others. Uh, I know this in my own heart. I don't know how many of you <laughs> will, will have an, an interaction so overtake you where you've been made to feel small or something like that, and it'll be like 1 a.m. in the morning, you'll be like, yes, that's what I should have said. <laughs> that we'll be in, the, in front of the mirror and we'll be practicing, oh, yeah, well, then... That is sad that it can overtake our hearts and minds uh, in such a way. It tells us something about kind of our cultural understanding of how we ought to relate um, to others when they've done something uh, to offend us. When one of the big action movies these days is basically based off a guy whose dog gets killed, so he goes out and kills a thousand people. <laughs> Sounds normal? In Jesus' day, they had all sorts of sayings and axioms that they could point to to justify the way that they would treat each other. Often they were quoting from the Hebrew scriptures. Sometimes they were just kind of um, held um, beliefs of the day, but they were often misused, misunderstood, and mislived. Uh, and today we have labels too. We, we look at groups and we hide behind hashtags and we give titles to certain groups so that we can then dismiss them. We reduce people down to a name or a tribe or an ideology, and we go, therefore, everything that comes from that, I don't need to listen to, and I don't need to engage with it. Well, Jesus has a challenge for that. There's a challenge for that. There's an app for that. <laughs> so what does this text say that we're looking at today? Well, the first thing I want to I point out is what I'm going to call this relational equilibrium. Jesus warns us against relational equilibrium. He says, don't settle for that. Don't settle for um, the way that the, your society interacts with each other. Where you, so equilibrium is the idea, literally a, a balance between two opposing forces. Many think as long as we can keep that going, everything will be fine. Jesus says that's no good. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, love for love, uh, anger for anger, hatred for hatred, animosity for animosity, just push back against it, that that was acceptable. And isn't that how we see many deal with interaction today? Now, when Jesus says eye for eye and tooth for tooth, he's, he's actually, this was actually considered a very good thing in Jesus' day and many centuries before. It's actually what is called the lex talionis, the law of retaliation. And we find its beginning way back in the book of Leviticus in the Hebrew scriptures. It says this in chapter 24. Anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Sounds pretty harsh, but the point was actually protection. It was meant to put an end to, the cir to a circle of violence, to tribe going against tribe, to gang warfare. Um, now, just so you know, there's no evidence that this was ever actually practiced, but it was something that was, that was held on to. So you, you could really read this this way. You could say, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner and no more. You know, you could read the last. The, the one who was inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury and no more. It was meant to put a lid on retaliation. And so this was seen as a merciful, proper way to hold society down. I'm always mindful. How many of you, um, how many of my 80s people, uh, remember a movie called Untouchables? Okay. 
Untouchables was a movie um, that told the semi-true, had real characters in it from history. Uh, Elliot Ness, who put a crew of guys together to fight against Al Capone and his gangsters in Chicago during the Prohibition. And they, they kept coming up against the fact that they were lawmen, state lawmen, who were going up against criminals who could do it. There's no, there's no rules for the criminals. And so he was sitting down with Jim Malone, played by Sean Connery, and you have Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. And Jim Malone was a crusty old ex-cop. And Elliot Nest was trying to figure out uh, how, how are we possibly going to take down Capone? And so in this scene, in a church, by the way, um, Sean Connery's character, Jim Malone, says this. He says, you want to know how to get Capone? <laughs> that's, that's for free, that part. <laughs> she says, I'll tell you. There man pulls your knife, you pull a gun. He puts one of yours in the hospital, well, you put one of his in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. <laughs> well... You can't see it. He's actually holding a rosary while he says these words. And they're sitting in a, in a church in Chicago. Today, we could say, instead of saying that's the Chicago way, today we could say that's the political way. That's the, that's the way of social media. The Lex Talionis was meant to put a stop to an ongoing, never-ending, escalating violence of retribution. It was actually considered a good thing. It makes sense. Let's put a lid on how people are going to get back at each other. Those who hurt you, you can hurt them to the same extent. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They've been hurtful. They've been abusive. You can match them, but that's it. This is relational equilibrium, and it was justified by many in Jesus' day. But Jesus says, I'm inviting you to something better. You've heard that said, okay, it's, it's work, but I want to introduce you to something much better than just equilibrium, than, than lex telionis. He says, I'm inviting you to relational imbalance. Forget about equilibrium. I want, you, I want you to bring imbalance relationally to the world. That is the kingdom way. Matthew 5, 39 says, I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus takes everything that you and I have learned from the movies, everything uh, from online interaction, and he smashes it. He destroys it. If someone wants to injure you, take your stuff, take your time and your effort, live with an open hand. Absorb it. Why? Because this is the way of your king. This is the way of the lamb. And I don't know which one of us is going to push back and say, Jesus, what do you know what it's like to have your face slapped? What do you know like it's, what it is to keep walking under the burden? He who was slapped and hit while blindfolded and didn't retaliate. He whose, whose cloak was torn and whose clothes were divided between those who would kill him. He who was forced to carry our cross. He who paid in full our ransom of sin. Scripture tells us where our sin abounded, his grace abounds all the more. He doesn't just match. He explodes the lid off with his grace and his love. 
Notice Jesus' call for us in his kingdom is not to do just what's demanded. It's to do more. It's to call for relational imbalance. Is it any wonder why time after time in the Gospels, Jesus will finish a teaching and then it'll be many and many left saying, who can follow this? Who can obey this? Makes sense. All of us are standing here, sitting here right now going, how in the world. And the minute it becomes, I'm just going to try harder. It won't happen. See, but Jesus is inviting us into something more. He's inviting us into a Christ-empowered relational health. You get that first part wrong, you won't get the, you get the first part wrong, you won't get the second part. It is Christ-empowered relational health. Verse 44 says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray. Love and pray. Notice, it's not powered by your ability to pull it off. It cannot be. It cannot be for me. <laughs> There's no way it'll work. Jesus had some options when he used these words, love and pray. When he uses the word love, he could have used a word that would be a typical word we would use and what we often think of when we think of the word love. In Greek, it would be philos. It means like sibling love or family love. So love, love like a family, those who treat you like an enemy. That would have, that would have been hard enough. That's not what agape means, though. Agape love is where you bend your will for the good of the other ahead of your own. Agape, one, one person said, agape is a rugged commitment to be for someone else's good above your own and to love them towards Christ-likeness. And how do we do that other than being Christ-like? See, agape is always how God's love, how Christ's love is described in Scripture. And it's always an active love. Have you ever noticed how whenever it talks about God's love, there's always an action attached to it? For God so loved the world that he gave. Good, Sunday school, good job. <laughs> Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. 1 John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know. By Christ's action, he laid down his life for us. He absorbed what was yours and mine to absorb. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So Christ is a living definition, an active definition of what love is. So when we are asked the question, when we ask ourselves the question, how in the world do we love this way? The answer is spend time with the one who perfected this kind of love. Many, I, I don't know, I like to, I'm in the middle of quite a fascinating uh, biography right now about a woman named Dorothea Dix, who was basically someone who pushed back against those who were treated uh, insane in the 1800s in, in the U.S. It's a fabulous, fabulous uh, story. Um, but many of us, when we read biographies, we read them. Uh, it's a great way to learn how, to, how someone else was. And if you really like that person, you might grab their biography and go, how can I learn to be more like this person? Right? So, I mean, if you want to learn about leadership, you might read uh, John Maxwell. If you want to learn, or, or maybe, a, or maybe a, a biography on Lincoln. If you want to learn about how to, how to start a war, you might read about Napoleon. You want to read about how to grow a company from the bottom up, Howard Schultz. 
You want to read about how to ruin America? No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Divide the room. But better than reading a biography, better than uh, reading an autobiography is to spend time with that person, to live with that person, to speak with that person. Let them mentor you. So who, who is mentoring you in your relationships? <laughs> who is teaching you how to interact with your enemies? John Wick? If any of you say yes, I have to make a phone call after this. <laughs> Always washing your hands. Who is mentoring you? Are, are we spending time in the Gospels, in prayer, taking the Lord's Supper when we take communion and remembering he's bringing us into this much larger story of the suffering lamb, anchoring ourselves in that story? We spend time with Christ. We also spend time with his family. If, if church is ever a, a check mark for the, for the Christian life, and I, I hit it, I was there by 10, 10 05, but I was there for the service, I worshiped, and I'm done. If we think that, we're never going to be more Christ-like. We are, when we're baptized, when we take communion, when we worship, we are welcomed into his family. And you take on the community you're with. You take on the story of the community that you're with. You need to be living in Christ's community with your brothers and sisters. You take on the family you hang out with. So spend time with Jesus. Reflect on his love together with his family. And what do we see when we look at the Jesus story? First Peter, in First Peter, Peter sums it up. He, when we look at Jesus, we see he who committed no sin and no deceit was found on his mouth. When? When was there no deceit? When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, this is an important aspect, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Do we trust God enough? to allow injustice to happen to us? Do we trust his narrative and his story enough to say, God, I'm going to release this to you? I may never see the justice that I'm going to leave this to you. Isn't that the way of the Lamb? Jesus died to create a community that confuses the outside world. Since, since the first century, the group of Christians walking together that in no other circumstances would hang out, surprise people, and it caused many people to ask questions about this new faith, about the way. A, a community that was unified by the Holy Spirit, that in any other circumstance, they would never be in the same room. You are here in a room right now, and if it were not for Christ, you would never hang out with these people. Don't look around. There are different views in this room. There are different political views. There are different uh, ethnic backgrounds. There, there are different financial situations, different origin stories, how you came to Christ. When you were all brought in unity through the Lamb, the suffering Lamb. The world is in need of this spirit-infused love. Paul wrote about this, this community that just threw people off. Galatians 3.28. Now there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. We're brought together because of the spirit of Christ. It's the family way to live in unity. 
Have you, ever, have you ever known somebody for a while, and then you, you, you go to their house, maybe, and you meet their family, or you see a picture of their family on the wall, and you're like, you guys have strong genes. <laughs> you, look like, <laughs> you look like the same people. I thought your parents were your sister, or whatever. To, to love this way, the, the way that, that Jesus is calling us to live out, is an expression of the DNA of the children of the living God. If we cannot love this way, not to perfection, but if we cannot actively aim to imitate Jesus in this way, John would say, we're, not, we're actually not in the family. That this is the, the obvious expression of the love of God through us. In 1 John 4, verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. To love the way Christ loves is to say, I want to be like my dad. I want to look more like my dad. That's the best way you can do it. Our Father who causes the Son, our Heavenly Father who causes the Son to rise on the evil and the good, who sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, basically providing for their daily needs, what they need to live, giving them air to breathe in and out every day. Those who are cursing his name, those who are persecuting his church, those who live their life focused on self-glorification and destruction for those who get in their way. He provides their needs. He gives them grace that they may never recognize. That's the way our Father is. And he invites us to be a part of that kind of love. It's the kind of love that brought about his kingdom. It's the kind of love that brought about our salvation. It's the DNA of his children. So that God looks at you and I as we love those who are giving us every reason not to love. As we speak about them when they're not around to others with love and a desire for blessing. When we do that, our Heavenly Father puts his arm around us and says, you are looking more like me every day. Others can look and they'll say, wow, you look so much like your dad. Those genes run deep. It's in those moments. Many people I'll speak to will, will, will talk about their, their lament, that they feel like their, their sanctification isn't moving forward. Do you guys know what sanctification means? Sanctification meaning becoming more like Jesus. And they're like, man, I feel like I was 10 years ago. You want to move forward with leaps and bounds in the way you talk and treat those who would be considered your enemies? Love them in your words and your deeds. That is how the light of Christ will shine through you. It's, 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 it's then when we move from just being receivers of God's relentless, stubborn love to manifestations of that love in our communities. And communities are changed and, and families are changed and, and Starbucks conversations are changed and the internet has changed. Is it beyond redemption? I don't know. Is it? Maybe? I don't know. 18th century American revivalist and preacher Jonathan Edwards he said this, he said, the soul of a saint, 
You, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a child of the living God, the soul of a saint receives light from the sun of righteousness in such a manner that its nature, the saint's soul, is changed and it becomes properly a luminous thing. Not only does the sun shine in the saints, but they also become little suns, partaking of the nature of the fountain of their light. So we're receiving the light of God and we're shining it out to the world around us. Tiny glowing suns. That's why faith can never be a private thing that we just show up on Sunday and check off the box. It's fundamentally relational. It's God reaching out to man and pouring himself into us so that we can pour that into others. And fundamentally, if we, if we follow the way of Christ, otherworldly, imbalanced with the, with the eye-to-eye tooth-for-tooth way of the world, we will throw the world off. (laughs) They'll look at us like this. Wait a minute, I just threw this at you and then you blessed me. (laughs) Outdoing evil with good, not not just pushing back against it. Then Jesus ends this message, this part of his sermon, with everyone's favorite verse. Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your father is perfect. Well, I got to run down to Mariner, so I'll. <laughs> Everyone loves that verse. Pastor, how are you going to deal with that? Well, I love that in, in Luke, when he records the Sermon on the Mount, he actually says, Be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. There, there is a danger in the way we, we, we translate the word perfect. Notice what he said before all this. Even those who have no belief, who are not connected with the narrative or the kingdom that I am inaugurating, even those who are hostile to the gospel know how to be kind to people who are kind to them. Even those who do not worship a holy God can do the basics, can do an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, love for love, forgiveness for forgiveness. But to you, there's more than meets the eye. I'm calling you to something much better. Many of us forget the beautiful titles that are, that are thrown, us, thrown us. Yes, children of the living God. Peter writes in his letter, first letter, he says, but you, if you're a Christ follower, child of the living God, you are a chosen people. Chosen for what? Well, to love in this way. You're a royal priesthood. You are a, a bridge between God and man and, and his love and his spirit. You're a holy nation set apart. Again, holy doesn't mean perfect. It just means set apart for God's purpose. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. You and I are invited to so much more. We are destined for so much more. More accurately, your, your life is, is attuned and aiming towards something deeper and higher and wider. The word that, that uh, Matthew uses for perfection there is teleos. And if you, some of you might know that word. It, it, means, it means completeness or maturity, living out what you were meant to be. And so what are we meant to be? Well, that, that verse is put at the end of everything Jesus has just said for, that we've been looking at for the last couple months. You are called to, when you say yes, your yes is yes and your no is no. You're, I, wouldn't, I, I just keep saying called, which means you're invited to that kind of community. You're invited to that kind of, of life, to live out your fullness in Christ, to live like children of the living God because that is what you are, to live like those who cannot be destroyed by earthly threat because you cannot, to live as those living in a relationship with the living, loving, redeeming God because 
you are, to be, to be um, filled with his love and express that because you are. Now, I'm fully aware that for some of us, we have been deeply hurt by others. There's no, there's no way around that. Some of us have had injustice poured over, us, poured over us again and again and again. And I will say this, there is an intimacy that you can have with Jesus when you absorb injustice the same way he did. There's an there's a, there's a, there's a intimacy to be had with Christ when the, the, the wounded lamb and risen lamb when we, when we imitate him in times of distress and persecution. Jesus does not make light of, of injustice. The cross makes that very clear. The gospel makes it very clear. But this is the kingdom of God. This is the version of the kingdom of God that changes things. The version of the kingdom of God where we just get our stamp for eternity and then we sit back until he comes, that is so boring. This, this invitation to, to live out this kind of ridiculous, imbalanced love where we pour grace on those who throw poison on us, that's exciting. A lived out expression of God's grace to the world, to schools, our living rooms, the guy who cut you off on the way to church this morning. Jesus always wants to push us beyond doing what is required, what is good enough, what is expected by our culture. Because there's something we are invited into that goes beyond what is required. There is, there's a grace that has been poured into you and I, you and me, through Jesus Christ's spirit. And he invites us into something more beautiful than just saying, I did what was required. How boring. How boring to say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. How boring to say, I got them back. But how transformative. How, how fairy tale like these days to say, I had an opportunity to get revenge and I offered grace. I had them where I wanted them. I had a group of people on my side who said, let's get them. Let's at least talk about them. And I showed grace. When we do that, when we do that, we are getting on the ground floor of the new creation that God is bringing about. When we show grace and love and pray for those who have persecuted us, we are, we are the beginning of a movement in our community, in our relationships. There is nothing gospel-like about doing the expected. Anybody can do the expected. The gospel is unexpected. The gospel lived out in us is unexpected. Try loving your enemies. Try praying for those who persecute you. Try giving more to those who have already taken what is not rightly theirs. Because the greatest treasure that you and I can have is more Jesus. Every other pursuit gets in the way of that. The, the greatest thing that you and I can gain in broken relationships, the greatest outcome is more Jesus for both of you. And Jesus says, this is how you get it. This is how you get more of me. This is how you release all those things you've been firmly holding on to, your rights, your treasures, your name, which is always in danger of being lost. This is the way to proclaim, as we often sing, all I need is Christ. 
who absorbed slaps on the face, who absorbed injustice, who looked from the cross and saw people yelling at him, and he looked at them as victims, not enemies. Praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's our king. That's the kingdom he's inaugurated. That's our savior. This is the the new law of love, the imbalanced version of love. And for some of us, we're wondering, how, how is my heart going to become more like that? How in the world? I, my heart can't do this. Some of us, you're, maybe we're wondering why our heart is not attuned like Christ. Well, it could be that John Wick has had more influence on our heart <laughs> and, and characters like him. Maybe it's because eight hours a day scrolling or gaming is not nurturing the kingdom in my life. Maybe it's because the news that I watch and the way that I watch it and the podcasts I listen to and the memes I read are not nurturing the heart of Jesus in me. Maybe there's some things I need to give up there that are not helping me become more Christ-like. Jesus on the cross did not give eye for eye. He, He didn't balance the scales. He went far beyond what was required. And he invites us into more of himself as we imitate him with an imbalanced love for the world. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. And with your heads bowed, I just just want to say, you know, we, we live in a culture that can be an incubator for hatred and anger and grudges. And for many of us, we've taken on the characteristics of the world. And we all have people in mind we can think of right now. If we haven't yet, I invite you to now that we can, we can justify our anger towards. We have lists of reasons in light of all of them. And in front of all of those, the pile that we've put up, Christ places his cross. And you might think, how can my heart change towards these people? And Jesus says, love and prayer. Love modeled by Christ, which is always active, but backed by prayer. And so in an effort to be like our Father, to be like our Savior, to live out the kingdom right here and now at Town Center, in a real heart-transforming way, I want you to think of that person. I want you to think of that person you have not been able to find yourself to love if you're, if you're honest. And you have a list of reasons to justify your distaste. Maybe it's someone in your home. Maybe it's someone at school, at work. Maybe it's someone you only know through the news. Maybe it's someone you know from a, a distance, from social media. Think of them and hold that person at the center of your thoughts. That, that person who is made in the image of God, for whom Christ died to save and for whom he desires relationship. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray that God would bless them. Jesus, this is a difficult saying, yes, I want you to pray that God will bless them. That they would understand the love that God holds for them. 
I want you to pray that God would grant them health, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Pray he would bless them financially, that he would, he would bless them in their relationships. Pray that the grace of God would be known by them. And if need be, declare in light of the grace that you have been shown that you forgive them in Jesus' name. And therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful that the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.